So we're here. In here. We're in here. Yes. Another episode where you and I are going to be talking together. Yes. It's been a lot of work. <laughs> Not just here. Not just here. Just in general. Just in general, yeah. We'll say in advance that given where we're recording, you might hear our youngest because this is in the pandemic and COVID times and we're all together. There might be some sound of her with her classmates. We'll edit it out as best as we can. And other times you'll hear it because this ain't no professional (laughs) production. We're just doing it for the love, including the love of her and our oldest. What is the topic that we are broaching? The work. What is the work? What kind of work? What you talking we about? Just, the Your work. job? That, no, just the work. Okay. We keep it very vague in spiritual realms. <laughs> the work. We're going to talk about what we think the work is, what our work has been separately and together, and if the work ever ends, and I guess the purpose, how to work the work, <laughs> and how to make the work work. For For you. you. To be more concrete and not be vague, what we're talking about is the work that entails when you are going through some emotional, mental, spiritual growth. And I'm sure you've heard people refer to it as the work when people are saying, well, you know, I'm doing the work and it's, (laughs) you have to do the work. And we call it that or people call it that because there really isn't any way to describe it. And the reason why we're doing this episode is because our oldest daughter has been hearing us talk about, oh, this work is so hard, we're doing the work. And one day she came to us and she said, what is the work? What is it actually? What does that mean? What does it look like? And we tried to describe it to her for ourselves and explain that it's different for everybody. So the examples that we were giving her were examples for us but for other people they could be very different and then we tried to talk together summer and i see well are there core practices concepts that are universal for everyone when it comes to the work and what does that look like how could we articulate that so that's what this podcast episode is born out of is wanting to talk about that and also share with you as we do the things that we are going through because everything that we are experiencing or everything that we share with you on this podcast are things that we're actively working through, working on. We are in the work right now. It sounds so esoteric. There are a bunch of memes that, you know, if you're doing the work, you know what the work is. And if you're not doing the work, then you don't know because the work is the work. And really, from my vantage point, it is really the self-exploration, internal curiosity, internal inquiry as to what's going on with me. Why do I behave the way that I behave? Why do I react? Why do I feel? Why do I think? It is born out of that. There are lots of religious practices that focus on the work. Buddhism, for sure, when there is a sitting practice, that is part of the work. Building a tolerance to be with what is and having curiosity to that. There are other spiritual practices 
that are more rigorous and they're really the work is being with why am I on this planet what is the purpose and that can be done in a lot of different ways and some of it is is singular some of it is individualistic other times it's with other people and intensives other times it's with a partner or partners what have you your children it's a all the time thing whether we are conscious of it or not. Yeah, what are some of the things that you do to demonstrate being in the work? I think that for myself, I can pinpoint two core things, which are stillness and reconnecting with myself. The practices that I actually do, meditation, there's a way that meditation has been able to be a tool of spiritual enhancement for me, but it's also been a tool of spiritual bypass, and I'm going to talk about that later. Meditation has been uh, something that I use more so recently in a way that has really helped me to kind of slow down, really listen to myself, take stock of what's going on, be more present, connecting with nature and that can be in very simple ways where we are right now in North Carolina we have a lot more access to nature so we have hiking trails and I love to go hiking and I get lost in thought as I go trudging up the mountain but when we're home we are in a more suburban area and we live in an apartment and we have a balcony so I have plants that are on the balconies and I just talk to my plants yes I talk to my plants. Those are the ways in which I'm able to slow down and really allow everything around me to fall away so that I can really get back into myself. And the reason why that's important to me is because I've never realized just how much I have relied on other people's thoughts and opinions using their ideas or their words as the roadmap for what I should do for myself and to really stop and take a minute to say well what is it that I want what is it that Kendall wants the first time that I started asking myself that I really had no clue because I just thought I don't I have to consider other people or I have to think about how this is going to look or I don't want to be embarrassed or all these other things and so to be able to slow down and ask myself what is it that I want any practice that helps me to do that as a part of my my work of what I do. So I'd say meditation, connecting with nature. And that's a form of meditation. That's it's a, a form of meditation. That's yeah, a active, a walking meditation. Yeah, meditation comes in many different forms. I've been leaning more into doing absolutely nothing. Maybe I'm laying on the bed and I'm just looking up at the ceiling. Maybe I'm sitting outside and watching the clouds pass by, but I'm not doing anything. And that is very hard. (laughs) Would you say that when you're saying you're not doing anything, that that's rest and rest is part of the work or Mm. rest is a different thing because there's a different intention and that is also part of the work? I would put rest in there too. Yeah, because that's a part of the slowing down. There's always been this feeling or this urge of go, 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 do, 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 more, more, more. 
when I rest, and when I mean rest, it's not just, it's not sleep. Because when I'm sleeping, my body's taking a moment to recharge. But there's an active rest that is involved when I'm awake and I'm intentionally taking time out of my day to say I'm not going to be doing something and I'm not going to be thinking about what I need to be doing. I'm just going to sit. That stillness, being in stillness and being in rest, that's a lot of work. (laughs) Stillness is dynamic. I am trying to be with myself. And sometimes being with myself, really in myself and not leaving myself, that's hard because we leave ourselves quite often. I, this was a long time ago when I was preparing for my driving exam and they said that the average person pays attention to driving four seconds after they get into the car. If I'm not paying attention in driving with this heavy machinery that can kill myself and others. They really, I'm not in myself anywhere. For me, the work is verbal processing. I'm a verbal processor. Talking about different experiences, my story. I think also the work is reflecting also on when I have left myself, interactions that I've had, connections, trying to get underneath my feelings and my thoughts. There is a Buddhist teacher by the name of Sabine Selassie, and she says, and she's, she quoted it from somewhere else, so I'm not sure where she got it from, but our thoughts are not our own. They're the culture's thoughts. And so how do I get closer and closer to me and how I feel and how I think without having such a tremendous impact from the dominant society. The work is is also some type of movement because there is certainly within me a disconnect from my mind to the rest of my body and in movement particularly when I go hiking with you and the girls or walking with our dog, there's also something in the work with movement. And I don't necessarily mean exercise and some people that's in there, but it's the movement and the action. And I think the last piece for me is how I show up in relationship with folks. How am I with you? How am I with strangers? What is my interaction? And I can do it without any, I can blindly move with people or I can be in myself and interacting and being curious. And I think ultimately the work for me is about liberation and freedom for myself so that I can be in the collective of that. So for you, When was the moment that you shifted and realized that I need to do something different? I need to do... Because you've always been a verbal processor. You've always been about movement. When we first started dating, you were going to the gym. And so working out was a very much like an important part of your life. 
So for you, when was the shift of these are things that I'm doing and this is just kind of how I am and how I, pieces of just summer and how who I've always been and then shifting that into taking those pieces and then using them to transform into something that will help you to grow. I think it's more levels and the seepage of that awareness. Because of my family's history, you know, the first time I went and saw a therapist, I was I was nine. At that level of awareness, there was certain work. The the longer time passes and not in a linear sense, but I think in a in a very spherical sense there's a coming around and there's a coming around and there's a a seepage and a and a deeper because when we first started dating and I was working out the working out was for aesthetics but it was also I had a lot to process I was in a lot of pain the working out helped to release those chemicals to help navigate that similar to you when you started running and you were like running for your life, there was a processing that you were doing and it was not so much, it was intentional, but it wasn't so in the forefront of your brain and your mind of this mental, but there was work that was being done there too. As it comes around and as it comes around and there's another coming around again for me, it's hitting me differently. As time passes, there is a softening of me, even though y'all have always said, like, I'm just a soft, gushy. There's like another kind of opening in me, that gushiness, and being with that and what that looks like. Just to go off tangent, I mean, I think the work is also, you know, Kendall and I, and this will be a separate discussion, you know, we've done some accountability stuff where part of the work was really examining areas where there were missteps and mistakes causing harm and being out of integrity. And part of the work was also being in forgiveness of myself and asking for forgiveness and doing certain things in a ritual and certain pragmatic things to address that harm. So it's, it's really like in everything we do, if we pay attention to it. And intention. And intention. I look at spiritual growth and time in the same way, in that it's not linear. I always tell my wife, time is a man-made construct. And I see spiritual growth and time being, just like you said, like a sphere. It's 360, it's four-dimensional, it could even be six-dimensional. And I also see it sometimes being a spiral. There are things that you always come back to, but you kind of level up from the previous moment, the previous time. It's evolution and it's, it is growing and it's expanding, but it's not just in, in one direction. It's expansive in a, yeah, in a sphere 360. The other thing that I just want to kind of bring up, and we're still talking in esoteric ways and we'll talk about some specific examples but I think the other thing is that in an understanding of like I'm doing the quote-unquote work that there's some privilege in there about that because being able to have the time 
have the moment, have the space for the awareness, that's not something that everybody has access to given the way our world and our society operates. I would say particularly in Eurocentric uh, United States, Western kind of dominant culture, there are lots of people who are doing the work because they're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. But there's not, really there's not the space, there's not the oxygen, there's not the, the air. Um, and so I think that's the other thing that I want, you know, Ke- Kendall and I, um, for what reasons, I'm not quite sure. I don't think it's luck. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's previous lifetime. I don't know why, but we have the awareness, we've had the access to, and we have had the ability to be in the thought process, to be in the soul process of some awareness and attention and intention to the work. And that was not always the case. And that's not necessarily the case for a lot of folks, especially a lot of folks who have similar lived experiences of being in black queer bodies you know, when you're out on the street or when you have been shunned or when you have been pushed to the margins, whether it was from your family of origin or other parts of society, there there's really not space on, oh, let me let me process and do the work. No, so I think that we also, I just want to bring awareness to, you know, from a social economic, from access from all these different things that not everybody has had that. Um, and even if so, it might be so late in their life that there's not the capacity, there's not the bodily soulful tolerance to even be able to do that work. Right. I mean, I can look at my parents and really my, my mom, had tried to do the work for a very long time. My mother was always like reading self-help books and watching Donahue. And I recently said this out loud. I have a estranged relationship with my mother. Or, or strained. And it's a strained one <laughs> as well. But my mother is very wise on a soulful level. And she's able to connect to people on a soulful level that is quite remarkable. Even back then, even with all of her suffering, even with all of her extreme bouts of physical illness, of spiritual illness, of mental illness, the work was kind of present there. I want to acknowledge that. that That's how I started going to therapy. And not everybody has that, whether in the areas in the cultures that you're in and the communities that you're in if it's something that is shunned because it is it is something that seems fearful if there's not the time and the space doing this work is not about like well if you don't do the work 
you know, we were joking about like, if you don't know the work, you don't know the work. Like this is also like an access thing. Looking back growing up, I can see the ways in which my mother was really the foundation for me to be able to be in the space that I'm in now, to have such expansive ideas of spirituality and healing modalities. And she had to create that path for herself, breaking free of things that were already in place in my extended family, coming from a very traditional Christian background. And even though that wasn't my mother's upbringing of constantly being in church, there was still a lot of that Southern black church ideology that was embedded for her to try to do something different. I'm sure was some degree liberating, some degree frightening. I was able to see some of that work as well, not realizing or kind of understanding that's what this is. As a kid, you're always very critical of your parents. You always think that they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) You know better if they only listened. But as I've gotten older and as I've become a parent, I see, oh wow, the things that you were doing were really putting in some type of protection and safety and care for yourself in the best way that you knew how, given what was coming up behind you. I do think that when it comes to the work, there is, there are gatekeepers. I grew up, I would say middle class. Even then, there was still access that you were limited to because the practices, and I remember thinking about this and my mother and I had would have conversations about this, the practices that all these people were marketing and, and, and talking about were indigenous practices from black and brown folk all over the world. And yet you're selling it back to me for some astronomical price. <laughs> and so I have to now pay $500 to have a two day healing retreat. It was much more of a, I don't say undercover, but it was just more kind of offshoots of what was considered the norm and you had to be able to find things you had to find people you had to be able to like really you really had to cultivate your tribe of spiritual folks who were on the same wavelength as you now it's great because we have access to people through the internet through social media whereas for our time that was a little that was challenging you you worked with who you had in your neighborhood who was in a very kind of small radius from where you lived. And yeah, the work does, there, there is, um, there is access. There is, there is, there's ways in which there are gatekeepers that want to keep people from not having access to vital information that could really be helpful and beneficial. And I remember when I was going through a really, really rough period, making like shitty money, not like struggling on food stamps. I was just like, I wish that 
there was a way that I could have access to some type of group or some type of community that didn't involve um, yeah that wasn't just it wasn't what's the word having access to a community that was accessible and helpful to be able to support me and navigate me through some really challenging times, particularly helping me be a parent to a, a little one. And I think now when I look at different types of practitioners and I see that it's we're becoming this whole idea of spiritual growth uh, is becoming more popular. There is more access that I think people have, but I think that there's still kind of, there's this very shiny gloss over it. It's like, yeah, we can help you do the work as long as you look like this, you're in this tax bracket, you live in this neighborhood, and this is, you, you know, you have this political view and all these different things and you're on on some type of binary it's it you know it's still very boxed in or in a in a in a glossy veneer with a glossy veneer over it and i don't feel as though a lot of folks really really get to the core of what these practices are for how they can be helpful to not just an individual, but to a community. One of the things that I'm hearing you say is, is the work just in those spaces as well? You, you referenced sometimes being still, you referenced going out uh, into nature, you referenced these gatekeepers to these indigenous practices and doing these things. And someone on the other side could be like, well, really what? What's going on? What the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah, I think, so what I'm trying to get at is that what you see a lot of times on social media are, I mean, I call them stunts and shows. It's, I think it's just a lot of performative work. <laughs> I got caught up in that. I got caught up in like, oh, I'm looking at this person. This is what they're doing. And they're using hashtag self-care. They're using like using hashtag black girl magic and all these other things. Or um, I'm seeing like women black women going on healing retreats and some of them coming back worse than they had left to go on the retreat and so as we became more kind of collectively aware of we all are in pain and there's something that we need to address within us individually and collectively and self-care spiritual wellness the wellness business became more popular it was just like a lot of people were jumping on the bandwagon and I got kind of caught up in the bandwagon of like, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. And so the reason why I'm bringing in like gatekeepers and indigenous practices is because I'm sure a lot of you are looking at social media and using that as your barometer or your gauge of, well, what should I do? I don't know what my self-care looks like. I don't know what the work looks like, but I'm looking at this person's account. I'm looking at this person's account and they're doing this, and maybe I should do that. And ultimately what I had to do for myself was I had to really strip back, I use that term a lot, but I had to, I had to understand what, are, what is the point of me doing this practice? 
am I doing this because someone else was doing this and it looked good and it was aesthetically pleasing to some degree and so I'm gonna do that because it looked cute or am I doing this because I'm really trying to understand what is going on with me and then when I started to really really address my pains my past my ancestral pains so many of the practices that I was doing because there was a lot they all kind of started to fall away and I I was really just holding on to listening to self reconnecting with self that's what my work looks like it's very still because I was doing a lot of shit I was doing a lot of activities like Summer was saying I was running I didn't think of that as a spiritual wellness practice uh, but at the time I didn't know why I was running I was just I got caught up in oh this is the thing and I'm gonna run because I don't know <laughs> like that seems like a, a, an interesting idea even though I had no desire to be a runner it just kind of I got caught up and swept up in in this thing for a period of time wanting to do yoga I was like, oh, maybe I should do yoga because I see like this is becoming a thing. There's like a lot of black women doing yoga and everybody's getting into this yoga, yoga. And but that wasn't my thing. As you listen to this and as you hear through us, we're continually working on finding what what works for us in the moment and understanding that those things are going to change. When you look at other people, when you listen to us. I mean, take some of the things that we're saying into account, but then also really sit for yourself and say, okay, well, if I'm going to do this practice or I'm going to take on the suggestion or I'm going to listen to this podcast, well, what is, what is it that's in there for me? What is the piece that resonates with me? Because I can tell you to meditate, but that may not be your thing to sit on the cushion for 20 <laughs> minutes and just close your eyes and be like, oh, I'm just going to breathe deep and then you know all suddenly all of life's answers are just going to come flooding to me like no that that may not be your thing and like i said you could be using those practices to just bypass or just gloss over and just be like oh you know that's fine i'm just going to get to this point and then i'm i'm good i think the other thing is to what kendall said like hearing listening being able to access what your truth is and that's also part of the work. And sometimes the truth is ugly. Sometimes the truth really goes against what you have been raised to understand and what you have been raised to believe. It's not a one size fits all. One of the things that I think is such a basic indigenous practice is friendship. Communicating with the people that you are that you have a intimate relationship with. And I, I don't mean necessarily romantic, but that could be in there too. Part of my work for over damn near 30 years is talking to my best friend. Part of the work was staying in this relationship with her when it was hanging on by a thread, when it was scrumptious and delicious, when there was the mundane in it all of that was part of the work and so there there is medicine and there is is the learning i mean right now part of my work this week i have cried every day this week i think 
I don't know. Am I going on seven days? I, it, it's been going quite a bit and I don't cry. My philosophy was what is the point of crying? Anger is much better emotion because there's energy in anger. But crying, what, what do we do with this? And crying goes with sadness. And I, you know, maybe I won't get up from that because of previous experiences with sadness and depression. It is all of it and what we are suggesting from our lived experience is that it is all of these things, it is the and and not the or. And it doesn't necessarily look one particular way. And there's not one path to take it. There's a cornucopia and there are things that work and there are things that work in this moment and no longer serve. I mean, one of the things that is very helpful, I've talked about, I've been going to therapy since I was nine, off and on. Kendall and I have a couples therapists. Here I am thinking we gonna work on us <laughs> in the sessions, but part of working on us is synthesizing, is analyzing, is being with some of what is that is mine and some of it that's not even mine. It was things related to my to my elders, to my ancestors, facing into there is an acute awareness of constant severing and cutting off. And that is of relationships, that is of people, that is of ways, in ways that there was not like a grounded completion. It was just a severing. And so with all of this severing building up in me, that preceded me and my own sort of severing that I've done, what is the impact of that? Part of what I have been doing in this week, part of the grieving is being with that severing and being really now in the pain of what that feels like because I can't contain it anymore. Mm -hmm. Work looks, you know, in all sorts of ways. Another thing that is that's in there that people talk about is like shadow work. And what, what does that mean, shadow work? I don't think there's a definition that I can kind of pinpoint to, but what I was told is shadow work is facing into those parts of yourself that you hide, that you tuck away, that you keep secret. It's called shadow work because those are the things that you put in the shadows. You're presenting one thing, but you're hiding other things. And so the shadow work is just being able to face, heal, hold, tend to the things that you hide. I'm not going to attribute him as the person that knows this, but there is a, this is a European um, Swiss psychiatrist, Carl Jung, Carl mm -hmm. Jung. Yeah that it consists of the parts of ourselves we choose to repress or hide that we don't like. Mm -hmm. All types of things. It could be shameful experiences. It can be traits. One of the things for me that I have such a visceral reaction to is manipulation. Oh, I don't like manipulation. I'm reactionary to that if I perceive people being manipulative to me. And I think part of the reason why there's such a reaction is that that's part of my shadows. Even that was a discussion that I was having with my personal therapist and I was talking about it and I was talking about how if I detect any kind of manipulation in our youngest daughter, 
I go ham on her. Kendall and I first started dating. I remember going ham really hard on Emmy about that. I think I scared the shit out of Emmy. The reason that I did that was because not only do I have the capacity to be manipulative, because I, I say that all the time, but I I can see in ways where I have I have done it. I have exercised my manipulation. And I have to make peace with that. And I have to accept that that is part of who I am. And that is a trait and that is a, yeah, it's a character trait. I wouldn't even say it's a flaw because I thought it was a flaw, but then I would do it. And then when I would realize I would do it, there would be like this shame and I would, you know, I wouldn't even talk to you about it. Kendall says, there are things in me that will always be locked away and no one will ever have access to these thoughts, these feelings, etc. And this was one of those things. When I was grasping for connection, when I was grasping for belonging, when I was grasping to make sure that I wasn't being abandoned, I would do things to be manipulative and not in a malicious and a malignant kind of way. But sometimes it came out malicious and, and malignant. And so that's the other thing of like the work. Looking at these things with clear vision, with loving kindness, and being with it. Because that is part of my presence on earth at this time that I'm conscious of. And that is part of who I am. And there have been times where I have been manipulative and it was helpful. It was for the greater good. <laughs> And then there were other times where it wasn't, nah, you fucked that up, kid. You fucked that up. And so I think that's the other piece of the work. But it's being, to your point, it's being still. It is really hearing and not hearing through your ears, <laughs> but hearing inside of you. And part of that work is is removing some of the filters and removing some of the culture's thoughts and removing, you know, some of that's also judgments that come from outside of you and how to like align to your own ethics and your own compass. And also the work is not singular. You cannot do all of the work by yourself. There has to be some bounce back. There has to be some reflection and that doesn't happen on the mountain right? You know, that happens in interactions with other beings. Whether that being is a bug and how you just smash the shit out that shit, or how it is with plants, or how it is with animals, or how you are with other human beings and human energy. Part of the work is in relationship to others because we are all we're all interconnected whether you want to be or not i am just as much connected to donald trump and these racists and these these people who have a hole in their soul that i think and are broken just as i'm just as interconnected to them as i am to my spouse it's being in that edge is being in that learning edge is being in that is being in the edge of you, is looking at those shadows, is looking at that gunk. And it's also looking at the things that really align well to your knowing. It's the nuance. And one of the things that Summer and I started saying to each other in 2019 
was that we wanted to really have radical honesty. And I think that when we first said that, we had no idea really what all of that entailed. But I really truly believe that when we said that to each other, we had to have radical honesty with ourselves first. Because there had to be an an honesty of, this is how I'm feeling, this is what's going on, being accountable. There were some things that I didn't realize for myself thinking, not thinking that I was a, a victim, but I was thinking like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm over here just chilling, being quiet. And if anything, I'm more harmful to myself than I am to others. But then when I really started to be still and slow down, I could see and be more honest with myself and realize like there are times where I've really hurt other people and to really be honest about that. And, and some of those people I've said, I'm sorry that I hurt you in this way. I'm sorry that you've experienced any pain from me. It was a hard thing for me to really eat before I got to the place of speaking it to, to a, another person or saying that or being accountable to that, to really be with the fact that like, there have been times where I have been mean, I have been hurtful. And while that was not in my intention, that was an impact. I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe my radical honesty is like right now is I did feel like I was a victim. I was like, well, I'm, I'm a victim of all these experiences. I'm a victim of all of this life. I may not have been thinking of being a victim in the present moment of certain circumstances, but I was like, I am a victim of all of these things. And so, yeah, I think I did have very much a victim mentality. I'm being radically honest about that right now because as I'm sitting with it, my spirit, my body is like, yeah, own up to that own up to that shit and so I think that I felt that and I had that which is why and I brought up before this term spiritual bypassing and so much of what I did before in terms of my spiritual practices they were cute they were just I'm gonna do this because it looks good and I'm just gonna do enough work to just get me through about two percent of this pain so that I could keep going and I can keep living not changing (laughs) but keep living I want to give you the definition of spiritual bypassing so that anyone that's listening can understand what it's what it is. And this is keep in mind this is coming from I believe is a white man, patriarchal. Here we go. His name is John Wellwood. He was a psychotherapist. He wrote this book called Toward a Psychology of Awakening. Supposedly he was the first person to coin this term spiritual bypassing and the way he defines it is spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. Now we're going to pause on that so you can feel that. (laughs) Because how many of y'all have been doing that spiritual bypassing? I know I have. What about you, Summer? No, never me, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, we out here. We out here on the mountaintop. Okay. No, I've done spiritual bypass, but I think it, yes, I've done it in an intellectual way. Because mm-hmm. mine is more of a theoretical logic. logic. It's another form of bypassing, but it's exactly that. And that's how I deal with it. And I keep it moving. Yeah. Because summer is all more, before it would be more so, it has to make sense. 
I'm going to share this little quick little story of when we were thinking about having another child for a long time. Summer was like, no, I don't want to have any kids. I don't want to have any other kids. We got Emmy. Everything's fine. There was something that was starting to shift within you. I remember she would have this feeling and I can't, I wish you could see like the motion that she would do, but it was like this undulating, like think of a just like a, a wave just <laughs> or a flag just like waving in the wind just constantly back and forth and she kept saying like there's this feeling that I have that I want to have a child but it doesn't make sense <laughs> it doesn't make a lot and I could see the internal battle that you were having it was just there's a, you you were like I can't describe this feeling there's this feeling and it's pulling on me. It's like pulling on my uterus. Like what yeah. is going on? And that was like, if I think about it now, that was a form. People are like, what the fuck? But that was like a form of eroticism. Like I felt like my erotic, like there was something. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it. I'm doing right. it right now. <laughs> She's doing the movement. Like here. It was a it, pulling. It's a pulling from like my gut and my pelvic area that was so... Like, it was so palpable, and it radiated from there. And I just, I couldn't. A couple of times that that has happened in my relationship with Kendall, and I think in my life, and I just couldn't. (laughs) It was kind of like it had to come up and out. Come up and out. Yeah. But, and normally, you're like, I got to start from the head. And when it didn't make logical sense, because you were like, having a baby costs money. Where we we gotta have? I we was, don't have I, money. I was we don't fearful. have no money. I was I fearful like... of how I would parent. Sometimes I'm like, see, that fear was valid, <laughs> bitch, because you are fucking up in the parenting realm, big time on a daily basis. But you were so trying to essentially pull this feeling that was a deep-seated, guttural feeling and then transplant it into your brain so you could understand. And I kept saying, it, does, it doesn't have to make sense. It's not going to make sense. Yeah, and I get that from my dad. My dad, his spiritual practice was through lots of study and logic. And that kept him safe. That kept him protected. That kept the barriers up for him. And so I also absorbed in me through DNA or through observation or a combination of both like epigenetics. But that practice of I gotta have it make sense because there were other things that I would do that didn't make sense that would cause, in my opinion, a lot of harm, and I was out of control. And so if it was anything that came from eroticism or felt sense, I felt like that compass was off. And so the one that would keep me safe is the one steeped in, it has to make sense for me. And even if it don't make no sense for nobody else, just for you, it has to make sense for me. And if I can make it, if it makes sense for me, then I can move forward not trusting the felt sense of a thing. Mm-hmm. But see, I wouldn't even know that if I wasn't doing the work. <laughs> Which brings us back. How would you encapsulate the work? 
what for you is the work? What does it look like for you? Pragmatically, if we're talking about like, what do you do? The work includes reading a lot of black queer writers, uh, particularly about freedom and liberation, conversing with my practitioners about once a week or once every other week when I take a shower I use a sugar scrub to scrub off the judgment of myself the victimization that I also carry the work includes being honest with you and showing all of me when I'm afraid to do so not over apologizing but apologizing and trying to shift patterns in my behavior with our children trying to be more open and vulnerable to loving different types of people, really working on my boundaries to not overperform and overfunction for love from other people. Since you started doing the work, how has it evolved? I am growing in my tolerance and in my capacity to be kind, slow, and compassionate. That has really been with myself first and trying to do the same thing in tandem with people that I am intimately involved with who are my chosen family. I'm having a harder time with my family of origin. It has changed where it's not compartmentalized for certain spaces, meaning that the work also shows up at my place of employment. I know I'd be shocking the shit out of them. (laughs) Extending that same kind of honesty and vulnerability. Armor is still there, but there's a different type of honest vulnerability that I show up with in my place of employment because I spend a lot of time working that I'm trying to practice it there too so that it's more in the muscle memory of me all day. And I think that I started, particularly in our family, the four of us, treating you all like I treated the people at my job. And so I'm trying to really, the way the work has changed is how I'm interacting with people that I that I have some knowledge of that I, that I know to a certain extent. What, what about you? Or is there anything you want to say about what I said before you answer the question for you? I mean, honestly, I just want to give a breather to that. I appreciate what you shared. Yeah, and I see that I see the shifts in the intentionality and the changing and also the vulnerability. So the work for me at this point in my life has stripped back quite a bit. One, it was really starting to develop a community of support folks around me that could help me. And that, that community was a therapist. I have a really good therapist that I found and absolutely love working with her. I also have a polarity coach 
even though I haven't actually been working with my coach recently, um, I started doing something called polarity therapy. It's another kind of healing modality. And the cohort that I'm a part of is like the last cohort. So one of the coaches in the teaching team, who's actually the person who created this particular business, not polarity therapy, but she created this business. Um, my that that coach the the teaching team from the level one that we did the cohort that I'm a part of that's a part of my support system my support team now our couples therapist is a part of my support team and I also have another spiritual group of three phenomenal women that's part of my support team I've implored my mother my best friend of 25 years and I have some other two very important friends black queer female friends that have been a really good like a great anchor And that took work to really cultivate that because I was really up until this point of maybe like a year or two ago, I'm 40 years old. So I'd say up until I was about 38, 39, I was very closed off. So to be able to actually reach out to support and say, I need help and have this broad um, community is, it's phenomenal. And it's also, it's a new it's flexing this new muscle. Um, and so that's definitely part of my work is being able to have people that I can say, hey, I need some help. <laughs> I need you to listen to me and to be honest with them and to say, I need you to, I just need to vent or I need some advice or, hey, can you send me a check-in text every so often to just check in on me to even be able to do that um, I would say that is also a part of my work because I have, I've had to be very vulnerable and to really, really say, look, <laughs> I need some help. And I'll say obvious, obviously, maybe less obvious, um, is our core family as a part of my support system, um, there are ways that I have leaned on Summer and leaned on the girls and not in ways that were inappropriate, but I really feel that I was able, I used our family as kind of uh, a place to practice this radical honesty, radical honesty with myself and to be able to articulate that to my wife, to Summer, to the girls. And so some of that uh, work looked like when I was having a really bad day emotionally, if my anxiety was a little too much or my depression was kind of creeping in and I was crying or feeling upset, not lying about it and being very honest and telling them I'm having a rough day. And so you're gonna be seeing me cry today. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing that has to take place. I just need to go through this emotion and I just need to ride this this wave. But I want to let you know 
that this is how I'm feeling so that there isn't kind of an awkwardness and also to just be able to to say what's going on with me so that you know and that it's not um it doesn't feel secretive it doesn't feel like a shadow uh, so that has been a part of the work is really that radical honesty within myself and really being able to stretch myself and to be able to communicate and articulate what's going on with me. Um, and so I've, I'm really um, thankful for that and grateful for, for y'all for being able for me to do that. And then also the work is surrendering. And what that is, looks like for me is there's I think ways in which I I'm like I know what I know right I know how I feel I know what's going I know how I feel in my body I know how I feel in my mind I know which direction to go in I know what is not for me but so many times in my life I have gone along with something because I am afraid that I will lose love. I'm afraid that I will lose favor with people. I'm afraid that um, that I'm not going to be liked. And so when I got to a point, and this is a recent thing where I said to myself, I'm not going to to give in or I'm not going to, well, give in is not the word that I want to use. I'm not going to make my life decisions and choices based off of how others perceive me. And if I know that deep down in my core, I'm not trying to hurt people, I'm not trying to be mean and malicious and evil, if I know that deeply within myself, then there's nothing wrong with me standing firm within myself. And if other people are not necessarily on board with that, that it's okay. And so the surrendering for me has been, you know what, I got to let go of, um, I got to let go of things that aren't for me. And so if there's something that's going on where it's like, okay, this may be happening, let me try to not be vague. If there's something that's going on in my life where I'm having relationships with people and we are not on the same page or we're not on the same accord, I can say, I love you and that's perfectly fine and I'm going to be here, but I don't want to go down that road with you and to just surrender to what is and trust that if I know me and I know myself that I'm going to be okay then the love that I'm afraid that is going to go away is not going to go away. So the surrendering has looked like a lot of just kind of being more vocal about what is for me, what is not for me, not coming from a place of... um, It's not coming from a place of like, well, this is this is an ultimatum, right? It's not like it's this or that or da da da. And really getting to a place of like, oh, I know within myself how I feel, and I just I can be. I have to I have to I have to stand firm within that, and just kind of let go of everything else, and and just trust that 
I know that I'm going to be okay. Which has also been a part of developing the spiritual community and developing my, my support system. Um, has been flexing that muscle, being able to communicate openly and honestly. And another part of the work of what it looks like tangibly for me is doing things where I can reconnect with myself. And so I use meditation as a tool, but meditation isn't something that I do every day at this time, every single day. I'm sitting down or I'm lying down and I'm closing my eyes. I don't do it on a daily basis. I meditate when I know that I feel as though something is churning within me and I feel some type of anxious energy building up and I need to slow down and I need to listen to myself. That's when I meditate. That's when I get at peace. So my meditation, my meditative practice, where I'm actually sitting on a mat is more about listening than being a performative meditative practice. And there are other things that I do, like like we said earlier, connecting with nature. We I go for walks or I go on a hike. I may go for a bike ride. I may go to the beach. And I don't bring things with me. I don't have my, I may have my phone for just to make sure in case things happen, but I'm not on my phone. I'm just with myself. I've been to the beach plenty of times. Don't bring a book. I don't bring, I just bring a chair and I just sit. And I just get to a place of like, if I breathe and I just listen to myself, what is, what is that voice telling me? I also journal. I like to write a lot. Writing helps me because I'm a, I'm not an external processor or verbal processor like Summer. I'm more of an internal communicator. And so if I keep having things kind of on a hamster wheel in my mind, then it just, it stays there and then it builds and grows and then it becomes this uh, monster. And so if I can write, writing is a really good way for me to get things out. There was a period of time just even earlier a couple of months ago where I, if I would start to feel some anxiety and I wasn't able to sit down and meditate because I was too anxious, I would write a, I would write a letter and I would say to myself, okay, well, what's, you know, what's going on? I could feel within myself that there was five-year-old Kendall that was feeling afraid. And so I would write my letter to five-year-old Kendall. I'd say, dear five-year-old Kendall, and I'd write a whole stream of consciousness, whatever would come out. This is what I need to say to you. This is what I need to say to you. And I would write pages and pages. And I started doing that as an actual practice. Anytime I felt anxious, I would just write a letter to myself. What's going on? How are you feeling? I know just get it all out. So writing for me is another practice um, of the work. And I would say the evolution of it has been that now... I'm much more aware and intentional about the practices that I'm doing. Whereas before I think, you know, I was meditating. It's like, oh, I'm meditating because this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you should do. And I would get to that Zen-like place and I would feel calm, but I wouldn't ever kind of connect it to a feeling or connect it to something that I needed to kind of move through. I was just doing the practice to do the practice. Whereas now, every little thing that I do, in all honesty, is a spiritual practice. Sometimes even if it's as simple as like Summer was saying, taking a shower. 
and just feeling the water on my body. There's so many different things that I do that have a different intention behind it than before. And so now I would say the evolution of my, um, of the work from when I first started doing the work, which is, I always say 10 years, because I, I believe I started like around 28, 29. From that point on, now I'm in a place where so much of what I do, I have a, a different intention behind it. And I'm, I'm oftentimes linking it to, okay, what am I feeling and what needs to move, what needs to transmute through this particular practice as opposed to just doing it to do it. So what I'm hearing in essence is that essentially the work is living. (laughs) And that the work really doesn't end. I guess potentially when you take your last breath on this planet in this consciousness, maybe. Well, I don't believe that because I believe that work starts on the other end of the... Yeah, it's a whole different type of work. It looks different. But the work here mm-hmm. is in the living. Yeah, it's in the living. It's in the interacting. It's in the listening. It's in the being. It's in the margins. And that there's no, you mentioned Zen-like, even in these practices, there might be moments of a sense of peace or clear seeing, clear thinking. But really, the work is the and and the all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if, I think if you're going at it with the intention of like I'm gonna be Zen and everything's gonna be peaceful, then like then you're not here. <laughs> then you're not on this planet. Because nothing is in constant peace on Earth. No. Not even in the universe. There's always something that's moving and changing and dynamic. And being born and dying and changing. So did we answer the question, what is the work, do you think? I mean, I think we answered it for us. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, what do you all think about it? You know, we would love to hear whether you think all of this is hogwash, horseshit. If there were parts that resonated with you, there are parts where you were in your edge or it rubbed up against something that just bothered you or that it really resonated with you. And so we are curious and we want to know And to continue the discussion, because this is what we said in this moment of time. Three hours from now, six weeks from now, it's gonna change. We could articulate it and describe it in very different ways. Yeah. 
So we really want to hear from you. And the other thing is that this work is really important to us sharing exchanging of ideas with you all um and we're doing it we're doing it all on our own so consider if you would going to our patreon information is in the show notes and help us and really the help would just be the time in which we take to record engineer and put the information out Mm -hmm. cultivate the topics all that yeah I must say as we close out there is no other person that I would prefer to be doing this work with And while there are other people that is part of my work and it is part of yours, it is with gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation and humility that I get to be with you in this work, that you can bear witness to my work and that I can bear witness to yours. Oh, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. you are. Summer knows I don't like words. I don't. I'm like they're useless. <laughs> if you could feel the feeling that I have, I um. My love for you is very deep. And love is such a small word for how I feel. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want to do this with anyone else either. As challenging as it can be sometimes, and I know that I'm challenging. It's, it's both, it's, it's both of us that, yeah, there's, there is no other place there's no other family there's no other thing that I think is greener this grass is pretty fucking green and I roll around in it every damn day even with the poop don't, in the grass I was about to say <laughs> don't say the poop in the grass our dog is constantly yes pooping in the grass but no it's no this after he ain't up. in that grass he got one little one little patch <laughs> he got one little patch So until the next time, until the next time, I'm in here, I'm in here, we in here, you in here, we in here together. Take care, everybody. Bye. I'm in here is produced and edited by me, Kendall. The intro music was also created by me. You can find my wellness business in her power on Instagram at in her underscore power or on Twitter at in her power. You can email me with any questions, concerns, ideas, thoughts that you may have. My email address is Kendall, 
K-E-N-D-A-L at inherpower.space to help support me in continuing to bring you some great content I invite you to become a patron please make sure you review share and subscribe to this podcast <laughs>